Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Adi. This week, we take a break from the Gospel of John and instead dive into the book of Matthew, where Pastor Adi leads a discussion on why we should not worry. Enjoy. podcast audience as well. I don't know if it's right to call the group an audience, but uh, um, anyway, my understanding is is that this class will is are currently, Phil, are we the only ones that does the podcast? And so then this has become the podcast Bible study for the church. Is that kind of how we're thinking about that? To my knowledge, yes. Okay, very good. So fame and fortune awaits everyone who's here. Um, and uh, with so few people here, we can be rest assured that we have a good health consciousness. So what I thought I'd do today is take a break from our study in John, um, and whenever it is that we finally are able to reconvene, then we'll pick it up in, in John again. So I thought what we do today is kind of focus in on uh, and talk about something that everybody is feeling but not that many people are actually talking about it. They are reacting to it, but they're not talking about it. Because so much of the focus nowadays is on the cause of the anxiety that is in the, in the world, which is basically the uh, coronavirus and then uh, all the layoffs that have occurred from it, all the closures, etc., but not a whole lot of people are talking about the anxiety about the coronavirus other than the the uh, the panic that uh, has uh, ha- has occurred as a result of that. So, what just to sort of get us to think about that today? What evidences of the panic are you seeing, or perhaps even experiencing in uh, in your ha- it, it, this past week with respect to uh, the anxiety that's that uh, it, that everybody is seeing or experiencing? What are you noticing? Anybody? Good morning, Debbie. Hey, find your spot. It's open. Yeah, we're doing good here. We're doing good here. Here's a lesson for today. So we're just at, I'm just started out with a little bit of an opening sort of thoughts about what are you noticing? Like how many of you have gone to the store looking for something and you thought that, yeah, I'll just run up to Walmart, I'll go up to Sam's. And uh, it won't take five minutes to find what I'm looking for. And you were there for five minutes because there was nothing on the shelf that you were looking for. Any toilet paper people? Anybody worried about the toilet paper supplies? Paper towels? Anything like that? Yeah, so I have to tell you a little story about what I did. So we were running short on paper towels. So Victoria said, I need for you to go to the store and find some paper towels. So I went up to Sam's because I thought, you know, Walmart's probably bought out and wherever else is bought out. So I'm looking, 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 and I see no rolls of paper towels anywhere. Although there was a guy, a guy that works there. He had this big, you know, one of these big hand truck things that they load things on. And he had this big pallet of what I thought were <laughs> paper towels. And so as I'm uh, w- doing my card, I spotted it, and then I noticed that nobody else had seen him yet. And so I had this thought. It, it, was, it was just a fleeting thought, but the thought was, 
I hope no one else sees him because just as soon as he gets the stuff unloaded and put on the shelf, I'm going to zoom in. Well, it turned out it wasn't, it was paper plates. So that didn't, that didn't, that didn't pan out so well. So anyway, I was going down the aisle and uh, I noticed that there was a big box of paper towels that are the trifold kind that if you have a dispenser, you can pull it out and then you can use the paper towel. Or if you've gone to maybe like a, uh, a restaurant or something and you go in the restroom, sometimes in the, like in a basket, they'll have them loosely filled there. I picked up a box of those. 2,400 of them. <laughs> yes! I felt so victorious when I got home and then my wife saw what it was that I had purchased. And she said, why in the world did you get that? So, so she is not yet appreciative of the fact that I thought it was a great deal. And, uh, you know, if we run short of paper towels, I'll have something to barter with for food, uh, you know, whenever that time comes. Okay, well, I thought I'd share that with you. But it just gives you a little sense, I think, of, of things that we all probably have taken for granted forever. Toilet paper. You know, paper towels, uh, hand sanitizer, uh, cleansers. I mean, we all take that for granted, thinking nothing of it. And then uh, all of a sudden what happens is something like this happens and people swoop in. Whatever happened to that? Did you see that on the Internet? The guy that went, he and his business partner, they bought 17,000 bottles of, of the hand sanitizer. And then they were trying to sell it on uh, Amazon or eBay Whatever happened to that guy? Did he get tossed in jail or something? Oh, did he give it away or did? Or somebody came in and yeah. Or they were they were going to donate it because the government was actually going in to confiscate. They were going to raid it. You know, that's one of those moments when you think, yes, justice. You know, the government's doing what it should do. You know, even though it's like you know, creaming free enterprise. So it's kind of interesting, everything that's occurred. Yes, Phil? Well, just, just on the subject of anxiety and taking some things for granted, yeah. um, a lot of things that I've been hearing um, is that one thing that's being taken for granted is just commerce in general. Yeah. Um, like able to have, you know, a job to generate an income mm-hmm. in, in the uh, society that we're in today. I know that there's a lot of anxiety right now over... Uh, people in the in the services industries, yeah. um, uh, waiters, you know, in particular, who mm-hmm. who like really strive and, mm-hmm. and depend on people coming into a restaurant right. uh, and and relying on wages and tips and that sure. that sort of thing. Sure, uh, they may not actually even have uh, any type of health care uh, plan mm-hmm. right. in place because it's not. Uh, Salaried, employer, right. it's too expensive for them to, to buy on their own. Right. Uh, and even then, a lot of these mm-hmm. organizations don't even provide any sort of paid sick leave mm-hmm. uh, for the for the organization. Yeah. Um, and I know that. Uh, I mean, my, even my wife has been affected mm-hmm. uh, in terms of having her hours drastically reduced sure. because a lot of it is is dependent on uh, patients in her industry coming in mm-hmm. to her to her shop to help to actually buy stuff. Right. Um, and thankfully, I'm able to uh, perform my job remotely. Right. Uh, so we, we still have that income to draw off. Right. And, and 
we're able to, to afford health insurance, but there are still m like millions and millions of people like in, in the United States alone that are right. uninsured and just don't have right. any type of safety net in yeah. terms of, of yeah. sick leave. That's a good point. Um, how much of what we do or what we assume is based on the, the ability of people to gather? And then, well, look at our church as a good example too, or any church. It, the idea of us gathering is uh, fundamental to who we are, but it's also fundamental to how we do what we do. And I don't think anybody, I know I didn't for sure, um, ever think that there, a time would come when they, you would be prevented from gathering or you would be limited to how, how many at one time could gather. And that's like, that makes it a whole new world. That makes it something like, wow, what do you, what do you, how do you do what you do? You know, how do you do that? So, uh, so anyway, let's take a look at some of the scripture that uh, uh, I put on our uh, outline for today. And again, Phil, we'll be able to, to uh, make the outlines part of, the, part of what we offer, on, uh, offer online. And remind everybody again, is it still MessiahLutheranPodcast.com or is there another way or a different way to get in on it? Uh, you, if you go to that, to that website address, it will actually redirect you to the Messiah. Oh, it will? The official Messiah Lutheran Church okay. page. Yeah. Uh, podcast page where yeah. it is. Uh, but if I mean, if you if you have on your iPhone, you just search for uh, Messiah Upper Room Podcast, uh -huh. or just M U R P for short. M U R P, yeah, okay, Merp, Merp. As I like to say, yes, the Merp. <laughs> it, it, it will. Uh, it, it let, uh, the podcast will actually show up in those search results. It'll be the the uh, first result. Actually. Okay. Okay. Good. So, but either way, people can get in. I think I'm still working off of uh, what we did, you know, when we first started. So I should tell people to just go to the church website uh, first rather than, than doing the other. Yeah, okay. if you go to the church website under the media mm -hmm. uh, tab, and then podcast will be under that. Okay. Tells you how often I go to the church's website that I could even tell you to do that. So, okay, well, let's look at uh, Matthew 6, verse uh, 25 to 34, and we'll spend a little time working through that. And again, it... Yeah, I, I know that we've gone through this study uh, often over the years, but it sort of gives a little bit new a new flavor to it, given some of the things that we're dealing with, uh, with de dealing with today. So in Matthew six, Jesus says, "Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air." They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has 
enough trouble of its own. That's like the understatement of the year right there. Okay, so Jesus starts out by saying, therefore I tell you, do not worry. So one of the things that we want to talk a little bit about is the difference between worrying and having anxiety. The old King James Version used to say, uh, or would translate this verse as, therefore do not be anxious about And so that can be a little confusing for people in terms of what is the difference between worrying about something and being anxious about something. So the distinction is in terms of what is the normal reaction or normal response to scary things or to changes that occur versus what goes over the top. And so that would be the difference. So one way to think about it is when you get anxious, that's your body and your brain's way of reacting to some sort of change. And everybody has their own sort of um, version, if you will, or default that they go to when they experience anxiety, or, and particularly when the anxiety gets to a, to a higher level. So, so typically what I like to do when I'm, I'll put this up on the board, what I like to do when I'm trying to have somebody tell me how is the anxiety affecting you, is that I like to put it on a scale of 1 to 10. So I'm going to draw on the board a, a vertical line. Looks like a giant eye. And at the bottom, I'll put the number 1. And at the top, I'll put the number 10. And then uh, about a third of the way down, I'll put an, the number 7. This is for the benefit of the podcast that I'm explaining this. All right, so, so the idea is, is that on a scale of 1 to 10 it's helpful to be able to describe what the level of the anxiety is that you have in reaction to whatever it is that you're dealing with the change or the, or the crisis or the, the, uh, the loss, whatever, whatever it might be. And so the kind of rule of thumb is, is that if you're between a seven and a 10, then that means you're in a real high state of anxiety. By the way, are you able to tell when your anxiety is in a heightened state as opposed to let's say that it's down here at a at a three to a five which is is a is a lower state of anxiety how would you know is there a way do you do you know that there is a way i'm just curious if you happen to know what it is yeah i think you can tell in your body you can tell in your body yeah now some people have a hard time telling in their body because they adapt to it so quickly that they can't tell. And for sure, if you look at that person on the outside of that person, there's a lot of people that you can't tell at all, right? And these are people that would be excellent poker players, okay? <laughs> so don't play, don't play poker with those people because you, can't, you cannot tell. And you know, that like the World Series of Poker on TV, they're dealing with millions of dollars and, and you, you could not tell. So one way, one foolproof way to tell if you're in a high anxiety is check your pulse. Okay, check your pulse, check your heart rate. And if your heart rate is at 100 beats a minute or more, you're, you're, at, a high, you're at high anxiety, irrespective of what your face looks like. And so that's one way that God has provided for us that, I, that we could tell. Because if we're in a heightened state of anxiety, then there are some things going on that could be detrimental to your health if that heightened state of anxiety was to last for a long time. If it just goes up and comes back down again, then it's not a, 
then it's not a big deal. So in a few minutes, we'll look at the, uh, the little graphic I have on the back page, and that'll help, that'll help illustrate it even more, okay? So when Jesus says, don't worry about your life, see, he's not saying, don't be human and feel anxious, because it's a human, it's normal human to get anxious when something surprising happens or when something scary happens or something um, that would be abrupt and you didn't see it coming. Okay, that's normal. Be, be anxious, be normal. But he's saying don't worry. So the idea of worry is, is that that is, and I put that in the note, that, that worry is the habit of choosing to fret over aspects of life that you can't influence or control. So what worry has more to do with is the idea that I feel like I'm out of control and that somehow I have to uh, exert control over a situation when the reality is, is that somebody else has more influence than I do and I'm not going to be able to, uh, to do much about it. And that's why when you get down to the bottom there, let's see, where's, uh, where's that verse? Yeah, in verse 27 where he says, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? What's the answer to that question? No. In fact, you'll take away from your life. Okay? Yeah. Because, because worry, if you think of it in, in an obsessive sort of way, the choice to worry, 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 worry literally can paralyze you from doing anything. But also what it can do is cause all kind of heart problems. Because if you stay... If you stay at the 7 to 10 on an extended basis, what do you think your, how do you think your heart will be affected by that? I'm talking about your, the pumping organism that makes things work. Yeah, it could wear, you think about it would be like this. Um, you're sitting in your car and the engine's running and you're not going anywhere, but you have your foot pressed totally down on the gas pedal. <laughs> okay, right? You know, there's no idle in that, right? Okay? And so, yeah, not only are you going to run out of gas, literally, of course, and that's what happens with the body, we run out of gas. But after a while, you're going to wear it out. You, it's the, the, the engine's not built for that kind, of, uh, that kind of use. Okay? So that's the difference between. So, so what he's saying is, is that he says, don't worry about your life. All right, now he mentioned some things. Uh, what you're going to eat and drink and your body and what you're going to wear and all those kinds of things. Now, we, we would be tempted to look at that and say, well, then, yeah, but what about coronavirus? What about, you know, what about air? What about those things? And, and so the idea here is that basically he's saying these are the necessities of life. Okay? The necessities of life. And then he gives this example. Look at the birds of the air. They don't plant stuff. They don't harvest stuff. They don't, what do they do? What do the birds of the air do? Yeah, they eat, but, but how, do, how does the Heavenly Father feed them? I always, like to, I always like to have us think about that. How many birds have you seen lately that are sitting on a tree branch or a, uh, or a uh, power line? I always like how they do that. They're always, they're always spaced perfectly apart. Have you ever noticed that? How do they know that? So how many of you, ha, them have you seen and they're sitting there and they're, they're like this with their mouths open? And they're waiting for the angels of heaven or the heavenly father to feed them. Like that. If a bird was to do that for like five days, Steve, what do you think would happen? He would go like that and fall dead. 
So the Heavenly Father feeds them, that's what he says. But how does the Heavenly Father go about doing that? By giving them opportunities to find food. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that, this is what it's about, is that the, the opportunity, number one, the wing supply, et cetera, to go and, you know, uh, in fact, I've noticed that there's a lot more birds over by McDonald's lately. And so there must be, a, must be some little crumbs of french fries or something down there. But it would be like that. See, that, and what this does is this gets at the idea that, well, then if God is going to take care of me, if God is going to feed me, then I'm just going to sit at home and I'm just going to kind of wait for the doorbell to ring or I'm just going to wait for him to come and provide for me and then there's no effort on my part to do uh, to make use of the opportunities that are there. So it's a little bit, it's getting at that idea that the temptation of, of somebody who's worried would be that, well, God said he would take care of me so I'm just going to wait for him to do that, right? He's saying here, no, the way the birds of the air are fed is they got to go get the food. And, they, and sometimes they have to be creative and they might even have to be, they might have to broaden their idea of what food looks like or food that they would eat in order to live. Okay? So, so he keeps on going down. Now if you look at verse, let me see where that verse is that I wanted to really um, nail in here. Verse 26. Jesus asked the key question. And this is the question that we always want to know whenever we deal with some sort of change in life or some sort of unwanted uh, loss or something we're dealing with. And here's the question. Are you not much more valuable than they? This answers, looking at the notes, this answers the basic fear which unwanted or unanticipated change triggers. Does God still love me? And what is my value to him? So a couple questions there to think about. How do we determine what value, what, what, what is valuable to us? How do you determine that? And, and I think I'm asking not generically, I'm sort of asking, like, how do you determine? Because we all would be different people and different things would be valuable to different people. But how do you go about determining what is valuable or what is of value to you? Phil? Well, are you asking an economist or are you asking an artist? Well, uh, start with the artist and then move to the economist. Yes, okay. Well, what, I mean, what, what would provide or what you think is valuable is just how you feel about that particular thing or person or, or whatever object that you are uh, looking at, I guess, whatever is the subject okay. at the time. So it, are you basing that on need? Are you basing that on enrichment? Are you basing, what are you basing the sort of I mean, bottom line on? Yeah, I guess it can be like any number of different factors. Like, I, I mean, just, yeah, uh, need, I mean, whether you need it or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whether it like how it makes you how it like what type of emotion it make it invokes in you okay. when you think of that yeah. object or person or whatever sure. is happening. Sure. Uh, just just value can have can be a little bit nebulous in that sense. Yeah, and it also is kind of based on the quantity of the availability of it to you, right? Yeah, scarcity. Yeah, you, you, you it I think that that is being brought into very clear uh uh, eyesight nowadays when we think about the things that we feel like we need or the things we feel like we can't live without and how available they are. 
I mean, we're kind of laughing earlier about paper towels and toilet paper, but at the same time, when you hear in the news again and again and again, there's a shortage of something. And then your own personal experience is that you go to the store or Sam's or wherever you shop usually, that where you assume that, well, of all the places that where there would be a ton of that, here's where it is. And then all of a sudden you go there and, and the, the, the shelves are, are bare and it, you start to think to yourself, gosh, you know, the scarcity of something increases the anxiety about it and it increases that feeling inside that maybe I can't live without that. Um, are you familiar with uh, a guy by the name of Abraham Maslow? And uh, uh, what he came up with a number of years ago is called uh, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Have you ever seen that before? It's kind of an interesting uh, look at how needs are determined and the way that people think in terms of what is basic to my needs and then what is more uh, of a, uh, or less of a need. So one of the things that Maslow uh, felt or theorized is that the very basic thing that people need, I drew up on the board a, a pyramid and starting at the bottom, the base of the pyramid is what he talked about as being physiological needs. And so physiological needs would include those things that we need for physiological, that's our body and our, and our, and our existence sort of thing, those kind of needs that are fundamental to living. So an example of a physiological need is clean air, is water, is, uh, uh, pardon? Shelter. Shelter, is food, okay? See, if you were to lose everything else, from in terms of the pyramid up, you could still exist with this. Now, it would be a pretty primitive life, right? It wouldn't be filled with, you know, Christmas presents and things like that, but, but it still is fundamental. So that, that, that's what he talked about that in terms of that perspective. So it's a, it's a it, what is the basic thing that I need to survive? And nobody wants to get down to that level, but when the more anxious somebody is, the more, if, if the anxiety is way up here, then the person starts to fear things down at this level. And this is why we're, we're all familiar now with how much hoarding went on when people first uh, heard about the virus and then the effect of it. And then the mind took hold of it and said, oh my gosh, we are going to have this apocalyptic life that we're going to be uh, living in. So it, in terms of hoarding, for example, when people went to uh, the store and bought reams of, uh, or boxes and boxes of toilet paper, boxes and boxes of, of, the, uh, of the hand cleaner, do you know what else, the sales of which is, is uh, skyrocketing? Weapons. Yes, weapons. People are buying guns like crazy and ammunition. Now, and this isn't just the people that are thinking, oh, I have a gun and I really like to shoot a gun. If, if people are, are now operating at the physiological level, the survival level, what do you think the thought might be in their head as to why they might need guns? Yeah, yeah. That somebody's going to try to come and take my stuff away from me, you know, kind of this in this apocalyptic way. Yeah, Tim. 
Well, I was kind of thinking about like just being a finance major. I was talking to some friends about investments a while back and said, you know what's a good investment is if there was a zombie apocalypse and there'd still be a need for it, uh, there would still be demand for it. And we were talking about like, I mean, what's important about business and like staying competitive. And one of the things that uh, we've talked about like barriers to entry is it's important to have like a good business or good needs met, but unless you have a moat full of like sharks and crocodiles to uh, protect yourself with, people mm -hmm. are like, oh, that person has that, I'm gonna go take it. Well, I mean, there is that kind of thought, you know, that, that you think, okay, now you know why in the medieval days they built castles and they put a moat around the castle and then they would, you know, some of these old movies that you see where they had boiling oil, you know, over the top of the gate so somebody tries to come in and take your stuff. I mean, that's, see, that's, that's, that's on, on a different level, that's, but that's what this is talking about. He's talking about that, that, that at that most primitive level, we want to survive. And when people are in that heightened state of anxiety, what happens is, is that survival mechanisms kick in in your thinking. Like self-preservation. Like what do I got to do to protect mine and my own? And so you think about it from even from a perspective of Christian living. Christian living talks a lot, uh, uh, an awful lot about the idea of sharing with your neighbor. Well, if you're thinking that I'm at the survival levels of physiologically, how easy is it going to be for me to even want to share with you? Or maybe I'm going to look at my neighbor with suspicion and think, well, what's he trying to get away? What, what's he trying to, to take away from me? And on that small little level, tiny little level, that's what I experienced when I went to Sam's. And I saw that guy with the pallet, and it was paper plates. It wasn't paper towels. But I, I promise you, in that moment, I was thinking to myself, I got to get in there and get those paper towels before anybody else does, before anybody else sees it. And I'm going to grab on as many as I can and put them in my cart. And then I'll be going to the <laughs> checkout like this, leaned over, you know, be ready to defend it to the death. But that's what happens. And, and so the reality is, is that when people are at that high anxiety, you start to imagine that things are worse than they are. Because you start to think in terms of not just how it is right now, but then your mind goes way out into the future and says, oh, the future will be dire, the future will be terrible, and so I need to act now as if what is going to be in the future is happening now, even if it doesn't have any chance at all of happening now. I think what's scary about for a lot of people with, with respect to the virus aspect is we don't have an end date. There's not an end date. We don't know, well, okay, when is this finally going to what? Be over with. When are we going to finally get back to whatever the new normal is going to look like? And the longer there's not that, there's sort of that gap there of what that end space is, then what happens is people start to think, okay, I got to think in terms of my own survival or my, own, my family's survival and sharing with somebody is not instinctual. But again, the beauty of Christianity, of living for Jesus, is that we're counter-instinctual. Counter-instinctual. Yeah, go ahead, Janet. Yesterday, I, Mark and I were going to Target mm -hmm. because online they said they did have toilet paper. Oh, they did. Online they made a promise. Good. They didn't. 
So we drive up there. Well, all of our, the other women in the neighborhood, there's three of them, and they're probably in their 30s, 40s. Yeah. And so I went over and said, hey, we're going to Target. Does anybody need anything? Yeah. You know, I'd be glad to pick yeah. it up for you. You're going to Target, and this is my next door neighbor. And she goes, you're going to Target? And I went, yeah, we're going to Target. Look for stuff. Oh, we needed other stuff. Yeah. But, and there, all three of them looked at me like I was the most insane person. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm more likely to get it than you are if we're going by age. Right. And they're half my age. Right. And so... Um, it was just so interesting. Yeah. And then she said, when you get home, you need to take all your clothes, put them in the washing machine, you need to go take a shower, and you need to wash your hair. And I said, Miranda, I already washed my hair once today. <laughs> but it was interesting to see. Yes. I mean, she was the epitome of what you're talking about. That's right. That's right. And it's not, it, again, it's, we should not take it personally when people go there in the sense that, oh, they're just doing this to bother me or something. It's that, it's that heightened anxiety thing that's causing that. Now, I would say that, that after this is over with, whenever that is, and maybe hopefully before, is that if in my heightened anxiety I say some things that are, I, I don't want to say offensive because people's take offense all the time at stuff we say. But if I say some things that hurt you, even if I didn't mean to, the fact that I'm up in that heightened anxiety does not mean that I should not apologize for that, that I should not repair that, okay? We still need to repair it when we, when we harm each other with our words or we offend each other in, in, a, you know, in a mean way. But, but the thing, again, when people are at that level it's more likely that you're going to say stuff that you shouldn't have said or that you're going to hear stuff that normally would be like you know, water off a duck's back, but, but because we're, people are up there, they're more likely to take it in a personal way. And so what happens is personal relationships suffer. I just read this morning that, that uh, Cook uh, Children's Hospital downtown, can't remember if it was in Dallas or Fort Worth, which one it is, um, they have seen a, uh, a spike in child abuse cases. And you think, well, be, you know, again, think about what it is, is that people are, kids are home more now. I mean, they're home all the time now, and they're not away at school. So there's not a gap between angry parent or angry adult and child, that sort of thing. And so the, the likelihood of those kinds of things happening now are, uh, are much greater. And it's, again, not to excuse it. There's never an excuse for that. But you can kind of see where when self-preservation kicks in, then what also happens is my patience wears thin. My endurance is affected. So there's a lot of things that, uh, that get affected by that. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's keep on going here. All right, so notice what Jesus says then in uh, verse, uh, verse 30. He says... He mentions, oh, you of little faith. Now, one of the things that we want to remember is, is that just because you go to a 7 or 10 doesn't mean you lose your faith. But there is no question that when you're in that higher, that higher degree of anxiety, 
it's a lot easier to lose confidence in the promises that are in God's Word. Does that make sense? See, it's not an issue of faith as much as it's an issue of confidence. We think of faith as being saving faith as I believe in Jesus as my Savior and Lord. He loves me. He's forgiven me. I know that eternity is, 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 is a settled matter for me on the basis of, of what Jesus has done for me. That's objectively true. But confidence has more to do with a subjective feeling about that. And so that's the difference between feeling how you feel about something versus how something really is. So the reality of salvation, the reality that God loves you, the reality that, that all these things he says here are true, that's a reality. But do I feel it all the time? No, nope. feelings go up and down. Confidence goes up and down. The, the sense of trust goes up and down if you think of trust as how I feel in a given moment. And the more that people are stuck at this level, at that heightened anxiety, what we find, it, particularly in church life, and I found for sure in pastor life, is that I'm having to do a, hot, a lot more reassuring than I ever had to do before. And the ministry of reassurance, those of you here that are elders in our church or people that are in uh, contact with other people, you might find that people are expressing fearful doubts. You know, I, I don't know how we're going to survive this. I don't know how, can we really trust in God? You know, does God really care? Does, is there even a God? I mean, these are all the kinds of questions that people are asking, but they're asking those questions out of that heightened sense of anxiety. And it's more about how you feel in that moment. What would happen if you base your salvation or the certainty of your salvation, if you base it on how you feel versus... <laughs> versus on what is truly the reality, what, what happens then. Yeah, see, and so that's where that, that sort of daily exposure to the Word and the ministry of encouragement that we do with each other, and, and to some degree it may seem at times like it's like you're, you're standing in front of this wave, this tsunami, and you're making no difference at all when you say to somebody, we, you know, we trust in Jesus, and, and He loves us, and He's there for us, and you're being, you know, blown away by the flood of anxiety and, and fear and all those kinds of things. But that's when we have to remember that God's Word is a thing that's working, even if you don't feel it. And that's the part that's important for people to distinguish between two, those two things. Now notice what he says then in verse 31. And, and you, here we're, here's where you do get that sense of the difference between worry and anxiety in verse 31. He says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? And what shall we wear? I mean, you can almost hear the anxiety in that as, as that's being repeated over and over and over again. Basically, how are we going to survive? How are we going to survive? What does Jesus say about that? He says what? The pagans do what? They run after all these things. Now if you look at the note down at the bottom, uh, the Greek is a little bit more expressive than the English is there. Running after is implied as chasing something that can't satisfy. This suggests a scarcity mindset which always feels it needs more and more. The problem is enough is never enough. See, when you look at it from that perspective, Jesus says 
The pagans run after all these things. Okay, pagans would be unbelievers. They're, they're, they're chasing after all these things. Could Christians chase after all these things? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Again, the more that I think that my, my security in life and, and my survivability is based on those things, i.e. paper products <laughs> at, at uh, Sam's, then, then yes, uh, in fact, literally, I'm chasing down the guy that's uh, pushing that, uh, pushing that, uh, that, that uh, cart uh, t- to unload the paper plates. So yeah, there absolutely is a chasing after. But what he's reminding us of is, is that when you're chasing after, you're going after something that you think will give you security and it can't deliver. And maybe, yes, you get temporal comfort out of it. But the ultimate security that we have comes from Jesus. It does not come from having these things, so to speak. So then what does he say? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So let's go to the next page. And I've got some thoughts there uh, regarding what it means to seek first uh, the kingdom. When, When Jesus talks about seeking first the kingdom... The thing we want to remember is that that takes place sequentially. And what I mean by that is, is that the kingdom, is for, the kingdom of Jesus is first of all where? It isn't out there. Where is it? It's in here. It's in the soul. So seeking first the kingdom means that we're starting sequentially with what's in your soul. In other words, what's within and then it goes from within, uh, from within to outside of the person or the persona of a person. So seeking first the kingdom starts with what? Remembering what you are to God. What am I to God? I am God's beloved by virtue of my baptism. Remember as Jesus heard those words from God, you are my son whom I love with you I am well pleased. That same, those same words are what God said of us at our baptisms. And even though uh, for many of us that were baptized as like little babies and we don't have any memory of it, conscious memory of it, because, you know, brain development and all that, we heard from the very beginning before we had words. Those words went into our soul and became a part of who we are at the soul level pre-verbal. That's way more powerful than what you hear as an adult and have a way to sort of cognitively filter, filter that in and out. So the fact that your whole life from maybe infancy on, somebody, i.e. Jesus, has been saying, you are my child whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So here's some ways to seek first the kingdom and tie it into who you are in terms of uh, remembering that you are God's beloved. So think uh, good Lutheran trilogy here of thoughts, words, and deeds. So in your thoughts, remind yourself five times a day, I am God's beloved, we are God's beloved. Five times a day. Now, if you wanted to link that to important events of the day, you could do that five times a day. So when you get up in the morning, or wake up in the morning, get up in the morning, okay? When you leave for the day, now that has been uh, glitched up a little bit now. Uh, how many of you are working from home? Okay. How many of you have an office or some area in your home where that's your home office? And it might be like going to the dining room table. Okay. So when you leave for work, i.e., 
you leave the bedroom or bathroom or the kitchen and go to your home office, that's when you're leaving for work. Then midday is when you break for lunch. That means you leave your home office and go to the kitchen. And then uh, the fourth time is when you get off work. So whenever you clock out or however you do it. And then the fifth part of the day is at the end of the day before you go to sleep. So you can link doing this five times a day to how your work day is already uh, laid out. Okay, that's in your thoughts. In your words, tell yourself out loud, I am God's beloved, we are God's beloved. Um, How many of you uh, talk to yourself? Oh good, everybody here does that. And some of you do it and you won't admit it, okay? I talk to myself all the time too. And a lot of times we think in terms of what we say to other people, but here I'm thinking in terms of what I say to myself. What you say to yourself actually carries more weight than you think. Like, have you ever done some dumb thing in public and then just blown yourself up about how, how I can't believe I did that. Oh, what an idiot I am, okay? And we do that sort of instinctually, maybe, as self-correction kind of thing. But the idea here is to remind ourselves and say it out loud, I am God's beloved, we are God's beloved. And then the third one is in your deeds, so thoughts, words, and deeds. Let your actions reflect the reality of who you are as God's beloved. Now here's kind of an interesting thing. When I'm down here at this physiological survival level, and my instinct says what the thing that's most important for me to do is be, is be uh, engaged in self-preservation. Sometimes what happens is self-preservation takes precedence in terms of my activities or my actions or choices, it takes, it, it's a stronger pull to think in terms of self-preservation than it is to think in terms of being God's beloved and acting that way. See, if you think of it from the perspective of being God's beloved, how would that impact or be counter to the idea of self-preservation? Because self-preservation says... The most important thing here is me, not we. It's like, imagine that you are were on a sinking ship, like the Titanic, and you, get, uh, you find a life raft, you know, a little ring thing. And the ring thing is only designed for one person. And you're on it, and then here comes this other person coming up to you, and you're sitting there on the life ring, and you're going... I am God's beloved, I am God's beloved, I am God's beloved. But you see this other person coming and you know that this other person is going to want to latch on to your life ring, but it's only designed for one person and if the other person gets on it, it's going to sink. What are you going to do? Nobody wants to answer. (laughs) Well, you know what you're going to do. If you're in self-preservation mode, what are you going to do? You give it to them and then go take a door and float on it. Oh, yeah, okay, well, I'd probably not. All right, so what, what are you going to do? I mean, what's your instinct going to be in that moment? To do what? To, to guard that, to protect that. Now, maybe if it was like your, your family member coming along, maybe you, would, you would, might have a different thought about that. But, but again, it's, it's just that's what happens. That instinct kicks in. And that's why this idea of being part of the body of Christ, being, being God's beloved, is counterinstinctual. Because in that moment, 
if I'm God's beloved and I want my deeds to reflect that, then how am I going to reflect that at the same time that I'm thinking solely about myself as opposed to maybe thinking about sharing uh, that. Now, I was thinking, I did have an idea about this because I have thought about this many times. Not that I'm going to be on a sinking ship. But what would happen if you jumped in the water and hooked one arm into the thing and the buoyancy of the water is holding you and you could like take your pants and make it into a little air floaty thing, you can do that. I've watched enough... um, survival shows on YouTube to actually know how to do that kind of stuff. I know, you'll never know when that is, comes into play. Uh, so you could do that, and then there would be room for the other person to do that. But you're not going to think that way if you're in physiological survival mode. You're not going to think that way if you're up between a 7 and a 10. You could think that way by training yourself to think that way, but that's not going to be the instinctual thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, Tim. Well, I know Pastor Coleman uh, mentions an individual in a sermon who was aboard the Lusitania who gave away his life. I'm not, I can't hear you. That's the first time you ever said that to me. Well, I know. I'm just, I'm, I'm cognizant of our, of our uh, podcast. I want people to hear it. Um, there, I know Pastor Coleman mentioned a gentleman who was on board the Lusitania who gave away his life raft. Um, a ser- on a sermon a couple weeks ago, but I remember a story during World War II. Um, there was a transport ship taking troops uh, across the Atlantic to Europe uh, that was torpedoed by a German U-boat. And I forget the names, but there were four chaplains who were aboard that ship that all gave away their life rafts, mm-hmm. and they were famous because they went down together yeah. uh, in prayer. Yeah. Because they had the mindset, it's like, we know where we're going. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure people who aren't sure where they're going are safe. Yeah. That's that's an entirely different perspective, but it's one that that would be consistent with living the life of the beloved, is that if you know that you know where you're headed. Okay? Now, you know, again, we've sort of laughed in here sometimes about uh, purgatory and wondering, you know, well, what would happen? But it's that idea that if you're like, no, if you believe that on the basis of your reading of the word that you would go to heaven and be with Jesus, or at least you would go to the positive side of purgatory if that's where you end up going. But still, see, it's, it's that idea of that when I, know I'm, when I know I'm loved, when I know I'm God's beloved, nothing in this life changes that. So that can predict or that can inform the decisions that I make, even if I'm in a dire situation, in that case is life or death. I, I don't know how much of what we're dealing with now is life or death other than for those people who are in the hospital in that severe pneumonia state. That's a life or death state. But for a lot of us, and I think, I don't know the percentages if they figured that out yet, but the percentages of the idea of people that could get infected by it versus the number of people who get severely sick versus the number of people who recover from it. That, you know, not everybody that gets it dies from it. Not everybody that gets it actually gets it at the severe level. So there is some room there for the idea of my saying, I can make room for sharing. I can make room for going to Target or going to shop for my neighbors and and making room for that. 
And the reaction, Debbie, that you got from the neighbors tells you that they're operating at that survival level, that heightened anxiety. And we all kind of laughed about it, but that's where people are at. And so that sort of indicates how people's thinking changes. And the reality is for a lot of people that the higher you are up, like on a scale of 1 to 10, let's say you're at a 12 or something like that, rational thinking switches off. It switches off. And now we become instinctual thinkers. Well, the problem with instinctual thinkers is that very often the instinct is me first and you're not even in the picture. So, uh, so Jesus, for good reason, says to us that because worry is so self-consuming, we really have to really work at not going there. And that's easier said than done, of course, because when you feel anxious, then, that, then these thoughts roll through your head of, well, what am I going to do about tomorrow? What am I going to do about the next day? And what about the next day? And what about the next day? And so Jesus says, if you're, gonna, if you're, if you're hell-bent on worrying, okay, just worry about today. And let tomorrow take care of itself in terms of worry, not in terms of activity. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. I think we'll stop here. Uh, because it's a quarter till now, and I've got to head over to uh, to the second service. But would it be okay if we pick up with this next time, or would you be okay with that? I have no idea how many of us will be here, so uh, feel free to take this with you. My uh, my commitment to the to our community is that because this is the podcast that we're doing each week, it won't matter how many people are here. Okay, let's see. What do we have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine, so good. We fit right in under the under that uh, flatten the curve uh, sort of uh, uh, expectation that we have. So if we have nine people, but if we have two, what what's the promise that Jesus says? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. So so I'm going to be here. Uh, Philip is required to be here. Uh, sorry, Philip, but uh, somebody will run the thing for us, and this will go out on the podcast. So. Um, if you're not here, I'm going to pretend that you are. And if we can just make little paper cutouts of each person, that would be, uh, that would be terrific. And so we'll just we'll, we'll keep working through this because there's some other stuff in here that the Bible has to say and uh, kind of some, some helpful tools or tips, if you will, in terms of dealing with anxiety. Would that be okay if we do it that way? Okay, very, very good. All right, well, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that your word speaks to us in times of uh, plenty and in times of want. We know that we live in a broken world or we, we know that we are part of that broken world. We're affected by it. And uh, to a great degree, we contribute to it. This is the world that we live in. But even though the world is broken, the good news is that you came to live among us as you did and you lived a perfect life for us. And then as your father required, you took that perfect life and you went to the cross to suffer and die for us. And then on Easter, you rose again on the third day. And all that means for us is, is that we have a future. When we have faith in you and trust in you as Savior and Lord, the future that we have, though it may experience in the present time, lots of worry and fear and, and scarcity and how are you going to get from one place to another, that we don't have to worry about that e- eternally, that, uh, that our eternity with you is uh, set. So I would simply pray, Lord, for each of us here today and for those that are listening to our podcast and then those that are out in our community that are very anxious. 
I would pray, Lord, that you be with everyone, that you remind us that we're not alone, that you have walked the path for us ahead, ahead of time, and that you are whispering to us every day, you are my, my son and daughter whom I love, and with you I am, and with you I am well pleased. Watch over us, Lord. Keep us safe and healthy until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room. Here at Messiah Lutheran Church, our mission statement is sharing his light. That means sharing the light that is Jesus Christ and telling others about his gospel. If you want to join us in that mission, please share this podcast with someone that may want to come and better know the light of Jesus. Use one of our past episodes as a starting point to start a discussion with someone, or use a past series as a personal Bible study or devotional for your family or small group. If we've given any value to you at all, consider leaving this podcast a rating and review on iTunes. That will help us climb the iTunes rankings so we may better spread the reassuring good news of Jesus Christ and continue to share his light with anyone willing to listen. Thank you again so much for listening, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.